the resurrection appearances, and that's Thomas. Thomas, the man who gets the bad reputation of being the doubter, but who actually, I think, is one of the apostles for our generation. This is the man who, who wouldn't see, who wouldn't believe until he had evidence. And for me, that's, that's a wonderful thing because a, a, a witness who isn't falling over his feet to testify is someone that I trust quite a lot. What a wonderful thing for Thomas, who doubted and said, I don't believe it. And yet when he saw Jesus, spoke those most amazing words and said, not only are you my Lord, you are also my God. The one who had rejected the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead is the one who, who most absolutely recognizes what the resurrection means. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, my friend nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sounds like when I go fishing. At dawn, Jesus was, which I haven't done for years, by the way, because it's so boring and you never catch anything. These guys were professionals, though. My wife's going, move on, Nick. <laughs> These guys were professionals. They spent the whole night and they caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, well, throw your net out on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some fish. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, uh, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he was stripped for work, um, they used to dive in to check the nets and whatever. So he put on his, his garment and he jumped into the water and he headed for the shore. And the others stayed with the boat and they pulled in the loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. <coughs> fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were about 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I love the fact that they know it's the Lord, and yet they want to ask him, Who are you? And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. 
Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. And so Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die, but that's not what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world couldn't contain the books that would be written. Lord, please speak to us now from this passage. May, may we understand what, what it meant for those that met you on the lake, but may we understand also what it means for us. By your Spirit, Lord, please open our hearts and our emotions and our minds and our thoughts. By your Spirit, speak through and to me and to us. Amen. Yep, we'll have a chat afterwards. Now, Jesus had appeared to his disciples twice already. Once on Easter Sunday, uh, again the next week when we saw last week, Thomas was there with him. But at some stage after this, they upped and they went to Galilee. Galilee was where they'd spent most of their time on mission with Jesus. Uh, it's also the place where, uh, where Matthew and Mark note that Jesus told them to go to meet with him. Uh, it's, it's home. For a lot of these guys. There are, there are a few who don't come from Galilee, but uh, I think Nathaniel comes from Cana, if memory serves me right. Uh, it even says it right here. And Nathaniel from Cana, also in Galilee, so it is Galilee, so it's home for him as well. Peter and John and James, the sons of Zebedee, used to be fishermen on the lake here. In fact, this was where they met Jesus while they were out on their boats. Um, back home, Peter. Uh, Peter decides that it's time for him to just do something that he knows how to do, that he doesn't have to think about, that he can just be active. He says to the others, I'm going fishing, and they go, oh yeah, yeah, the seven of us that are here, 
um, well, seven of us at least will go fishing with you. Fishing was relaxing, uh, something that, that you didn't have to think about, a distraction. Maybe Peter just wanted to get on with life. Jesus is raised from the dead. They've, they've seen him now two times already, but, but, but what now? What, what do we do? And, and so he says, well, I know how to fish, so I'll, I'll fish. But after a frustratingly fishless night, as they're finishing up and pulling in their nets for the last time, they hear a voice from the shore saying, try the other side of the boat. Now, I'm no fisherman or fisherman, but if I'd spent the whole night fishing and then somebody yells from the shore, try the other side, I might yell something back at him. Thank you, of course, or not. But you know, once before, something similar had happened to at least Peter and James and John. And if you've got your Bibles, you'll find that in Luke chapter 5. At that stage, Jesus had been teaching from Peter's boat. <coughs> and he said, push your boat a little bit further out and throw your nets over the other side. And that time they'd caught a whopping amount of fish. So much so that James and John, the sons of Zebedee who were in the other boat, had to be called over so that they could actually get the fish out of the water. There was a lot of fish. Afterwards, at that first time in Luke chapter 5, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, follow me and I'm going to teach you not to fish for, for fish. Uh, they seem to be rather poor fishermen, by the way, because every time we meet them just about, they're not catching anything. Jesus says, I'm sure they were good, they, they had a livelihood, but Jesus says to them and to Peter, Peter, I want to teach you how to fish for men. That was the moment when Peter first realized that Jesus was more than just an ordinary teacher. It was a defining moment in their lives was the moment when they left their families and their livelihood and their boats and they followed Jesus. The miraculous nature of their catch here in John chapter 21 cannot be mistaken. Just as it couldn't be mistaken in the first instance in Luke chapter 5. This morning, after a fruitless night or fishless night, Jesus got their attention by evoking again a memory of what he had done almost at the start of their journey together. Seeing the nets filled, it was John, Jesus' closest friend. And isn't that interesting that Jesus had a closest friend among the groups there? John, the disciple that Jesus loved, realized who it was. John's the thinker of the group. You, you see it even if you read through his gospel. John is the one who who thinks deeply, he's, he's, he's the thinker. And he puts the dots together and he goes, fish full, net overside, no fish before. This is ringing bells. Ha! It's Jesus. And he turns and says, Peter, 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 it's Jesus. And Peter, being Peter, puts on his clothes and jumps into the water. He's in such a rush. They're only a couple of hundred yards away from the shore. It's not going to be a great benefit to jump into the water. They're going to, the others are going to arrive pretty soon, but Peter just cannot wait. He has to get 
to the shore. You know, in John chapter 13, when Jesus was speaking about what was going to happen, Peter was the one who arrogantly turned around and said, Lord, this is my version of it, Lord, you got some pretty dodgy followers here, but at least I will stick with you. At least I will stay with you, Jesus, no matter whether it's prison or even death, I will not abandon you. And the others quickly said the same, because Peter was showing them up a little bit. Peter's boast was that he wouldn't let Jesus down. That he would follow him even to death. And then, of course, Jesus is arrested. And in, in John chapter 18, we, saw, uh, we see how, how Peter tries to keep his word. He, he follows, but he follows at a distance, sort of away from the soldiers. And then, when he's confronted and, and asked, aren't you with Jesus I will follow you anywhere, Jesus, even to prison or death. Actually, let's, let's skip the prison or death part. I don't have a clue who he is. Once, twice, three times as he stands over a charcoal fire in the high priest's courtyard. And they say to him, aren't you with them? He says, a curse. Be either on, how you translate it, either on me or on Jesus if I even know the man. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt that night? Shame, self-reproach, guilt. Now I know these are emotions that none of us really understand, but try and put yourself in Peter's shoes. You know, Jesus had looked at Peter from across the courtyard as the rooster crowed, as he denied him that third time. Jesus knew what Peter had done. Now, Peter had only got into the courtyard in the first place because John had connections. John knew what Peter had done. Everybody knew what Peter had done. All four of the Gospels have the story of Peter denying Jesus. And then to see Jesus die, knowing that he had failed him. He'd seen Jesus resurrected. What, what amazing joy! But I wonder, did he still agonize over how he had failed Jesus? I wonder if Peter felt mixed emotions that morning by the lakeside. Overwhelming joy at seeing Jesus. There's certainly some of that. You don't jump out of the boat and rush to the shore if you're not excited. But was there also perhaps deep down that, that muffled despair at how he had burnt the bridges of trust? Did he remember his words from the first time that Jesus had caused them to catch a huge load of fish? Luke chapter 5, do you know what Peter said to Jesus at that stage? He said to him, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Don't come near me, I'm, I'm, I'm not worth it. Did he think, I've shown myself to be right? 
And as he stood over that charcoal fire on the beach, did he remember? You know how smells can bring back memories? Did he remember that other charcoal fire where he said, I don't know him. You know, when we, when we fail, when we fall, we can fall into, into a couple of traps. We can, we can overcompensate or we can just fall into despair. Peter could have become the most zealous, inflexible of apostles. He could have acted out of an attitude of, well, I've, I've got to make up for failing God and for failing myself. I've got to prove myself good enough. Or he could, have, he could have just filled himself with despair at how he had failed Jesus. What joy that Jesus is with him, but, but when Jesus isn't there. Maybe that's why he went fishing. A, a hidden burden of guilt and shame. Driven, in this case, by a fear of disappointing God and himself again. Wanting to, to prove himself okay. See, both of these, both of these um, traps are all about proving yourself good enough for God. But Jesus had other plans for Peter. And he has other plans for every one of us who has ever failed. Hands up, please, if you've ever failed. Hands up if you've just lied. You know, it's no accident that Peter, who denied Jesus three times, three times here affirms that he loves Jesus. I, I can't help but wonder if John 21 is at least in part and perhaps a large part about Jesus healing Peter's confidence in their relationship. About Jesus saying, you know what, Peter, you cannot burn the bridges between you and I. Three things just to note here. Uh, verse tw uh, 12 uh, that I pointed out earlier where they know that it's Jesus but they don't want to ask. It only makes sense if Jesus is both the same as before and somehow different. Uh, Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus is, is real but, but also beyond us. It's, who remembers their great-grandmother? Well, think of your great-great-grandmother. You probably don't remember her. Or grandfather. And they see you using the internet on your phone. There's no doubt that something's happening, that it's real, but they would think, I don't get it. It's not a perfect analogy, but, but it's the same sort of thing. Jesus is real and absolute, and, and he's the same, but... How to work is the same but different. The other thing to note is that, that when they get to the shore, Jesus is cooking breakfast for them. I love the fact Jesus cooks breakfast. And, and although Jesus tells them, go and get some of the fish that I've just caused you to catch, the fish that they catch is not to supplement the breakfast because Jesus has already provided all the breakfast that they need. Jesus provides, not the disciples. God doesn't need Peter's hard work. He doesn't need the disciples' hard work. He doesn't need your hard work, my hard work, but 
but he wants us to work with him. And the other third thing is that Jesus has a meal with his disciples, including Peter. And for us, it's like, oh, that's nice. He had a meal with them, which is incredible. I'm in a meal with Jesus. But, but in the Middle East, having a meal with someone is, is like saying, hey, you're okay with me. That's why Jesus got into trouble so much with the Pharisees and the, and the people who eventually put him to death because he would go and have meals with, with sinners. And he was in effect saying, hey, you are not an outcast. God is even in love with you. And Jesus here has a meal with Peter and it's, it's like he's saying, Peter, you know what? I want to eat with you. You and I are good. And then after the meal, he has this conversation with Peter. And he says to him, do you love me more than these? That's one of those questions that is very confusing. What are these? Does Jesus mean, do you love me more than fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than you love these other disciples? Could be. Or is Jesus saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? You know, that, that was behind Peter's boast in John chapter 13. His boast was basically, Lord, even if these guys desert you, I will not. Basically, I love you more than they do, God. Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Do you really love me? Three times he says, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you know I do. And I think at this stage Peter realizes that his love is imperfect. But he also realizes that, that he loves Jesus so much. That, that's why betraying Jesus, I think, hurt him so much. He ran away crying on that night when he, betrayed, when he denied Jesus. And he did it because he loved Jesus so much. Peter was promised, well, before I say that, each time Jesus says, well, if you love me, Peter, take care of my sheep and my lambs. Peter was promised in Luke chapter 5 when he first encountered Jesus there. Jesus said to him, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And later Jesus said to him, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be the rock, the foundation on which I, I build it. The foundation over me, uh, with me under you. And here, despite his denials of Jesus, Peter is being told that that is still the case. If Peter loves Jesus, then Peter will be the one to take care of God's people. Peter is going to care for God's sheep, Jesus' sheep, which is a big thing because Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the one who is in charge of his sheep, and he trusts Peter so much that he says, Peter, I'm entrusting you with my sheep. The things that are most important to me, the people that are most important to me, I'm trusting you there, the one who denied me three times. I'm trusting you. In John chapter 13, when Peter boasted that he would follow Jesus even to death, Jesus said, yeah, Peter, you are going to follow me later. And Peter 
Jesus says, you know what? Everything's still true, what I said, Peter. You are going to follow me. You're going to be led somewhere where you don't want to go. Your hands are going to be stretched out. You're going to be dressed by other people. You know, Peter did die with hands stretched out on a cross. And Peter's life and his death showed how valuable he thought God was, he thought Jesus was, and that brought glory to God. Just as Jesus' death and resurrection showed how much God loves us. Even Peter the denier in his death would follow Jesus in bringing glory to God. He did that in his life as well, by the way, but also in his death. You know, Jesus forgave Peter his denials and his rebellion by dying for him on the cross. That's the amazingness of the gospel is that all of our failures have been dealt with at the cross. There is nothing we can do, no amount of failing we can fail that has not been forgiven. And having been raised from the dead, and this is, this is an incredible thing, Jesus having forgiven Peter also doesn't hold his failure against him. In fact, Jesus finds him where he's at. They're supposed to be in Galilee. Does he find him hiding on the boat, on the lake? I don't know. Finds him fishing and lets him know that if Peter still loves him, then his failures, his denials have changed nothing. You know, Jesus didn't give Peter a job of taking care of his lambs and feeding his sheep so that Peter could earn his forgiveness. But Jesus confronted Peter so that Peter would know that his failures didn't define him, that Jesus, his Lord and his Master and his friend, defined him. You know, every one of us has a litany of failures that perhaps haunt us. Failures against God, failures against ourselves, failures against others. Jesus meets us where we're at and, and perhaps, like Peter, he forces us to confront our past. We are broken people. But brothers and sisters, our failures do not define us. Unless we let them. Like Peter, Christians are those whose brokenness is transparent to God. Who've already been forgiven by Jesus, who know that, who, who are being transformed by the Spirit, who, who realize that Jesus says to us, if you love me, let's leave that forgiven failure behind and carry on with my work. Peter was asked to care for Jesus' sheep because he loved Jesus. Whatever our service for Jesus is, and whether that service in the church, or whether that service in the family, or whether that service at work, or whether, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, let's not live to make up for our pasts. Let's not fall into the traps of overcompensation or despair. Let's not live perhaps overjoyed when we are with Jesus and, and perhaps when we, 
when we're not aware of his presence, perhaps feeling depressed. Let's not be that. Let's not live thinking that Jesus is angry with us. Let's realize that he loves us. And because he loves us and we love him, let's follow him. Sometimes we turn around and I say, well, what about that person? What about that person? Let's just follow him. My brothers and my sisters, there are no burnt bridges with Christ. May our God continue to bless you. May he continue to be gracious to you. May you know that his face looks down on you with love. Not with anger or disappointment or despair, but with love. May he keep you. May he strengthen you. May you know his love and follow after him. Some of you might be a bit like John who's following anyway at a distance. Some of us just do it by nature. Some of us need to be told by Jesus, follow. May we follow. Amen. We're going to sing a, a final song before we, before we finish today. It's Men of Faith. We're going to have the ladies sing the first verse for us. We'll all sing the choruses together. Um, and the men will sing the second verse. Men of faith, the ladies will encourage us. Rise up and sing of your great and glorious King. You are strong when you feel weak. In your brokenness, you are complete. And then the men will encourage the ladies saying, Rise up, woman of the truth. Stand and sing to broken hearts who can know the healing power of our awesome King of love. It's not, those last two lines is not a question. Rise up, woman of the truth, stand and sing to broken hearts, full stop. Who can know the healing power? It's rise up, woman of the truth, stand and sing to broken hearts who can know the healing power of our glorious King of love. Let's stand, let's encourage each other, and we'll, we'll all sing the final verse together. See